Amen. As you have a seat, go ahead and take your Bibles out if you have them and turn to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on a seat back there in front of you. Grab that, and there's a table of contents in the front that can help you find the Gospel of John where we've been as a church. John chapter 15. As you're turning there, uh, just a little bit of Summary from where we've been, if you remember, chapters about 13 through 17 are all happening in one evening. This is Jesus's really last moments that he has with his disciples before he goes to the garden and is betrayed and arrested and stands trial. And last week in chapter 14, we saw him say to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. He's like, I'm, I'm going away I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to continue my work both in you and through you. And I'm going to give you my spirit as your help. And if you're, if you're getting there, look at actually the end of John chapter 14. And let's see how it transitions into this passage this week. Verse 30 says this. I will no longer talk much with you. I love that. He's like, I don't have much to say. I don't have much left. But the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says this, rise, let us go from here. I think at this moment is what they actually begin doing is they, they begin walking to the garden. And so they leave here, the upper room, they walk around the temple complex down through the valley across the brook that's there and up into the garden and is what Jesus does in his last moments with his disciples is what he called them to do right at the beginning you remember that he said what follow me and they start doing that even as he's teaching them and Jesus teaches them as they walk like he's done so many times before I hey, think about how Jesus disciples here his disciples have learned both at his feet, they've learned from his teaching in the synagogues, they've learned as they walked with him and ate with him and they've watched him and imitated him and served alongside of him. And he's doing all of that all the way up to the end. As I read this, I've really been trying to think, like, if I were one of his disciples at this point, like, what, what would I be? What would I be thinking? And the big thing that came out of this was a question. It was, what do we do now, Lord? Like, what next? And even as he's telling them all this, they begin moving. And so it feels very final. It's like, come on, let's go. And they're like, wait, where are we going? Why, like, what's going on? What, what are you gonna have us do when you are gone? And in this passage is what he's gonna tell them to do is he's gonna tell them to abide, abide. Jesus wants them and you and I to know how to live a fruitful, abundant life. Even, even as you face opposition and persecution from the world, which by the way is the whole second half of this chapter, is all Jesus telling them, listen, the world is going to hate you. And in light of all of that, in light of all of their questions, in light of all of their concerns and fears, in the midst of this, Jesus is actually going to say, here's what you need more than anything. You need to stay close to me. That's what you need. When my kids were little, we used to uh, take family trips with her family 
down to Sanibel Island in Florida. And, uh, and one of my favorite things to do with the kids there was we would ride our bikes to this nature preserve that had, that had trails. And then we would do what we called gator hunting. Like we would go around and we'd, we'd see how large was the biggest alligator we could find. And then we would like set records. Like, hey, we saw six alligators on this hike. We saw seven here. We saw this. And I remember when this first started and uh, Kami, our oldest, was our only one. And even when she was really little, like we'd go out there, we'd ride bikes and we'd go up there. And Kami, if you know Kami, by the way, I got permission to share this. So, if you know Kami, like, like she's, she's got lots of questions and lots of facts, especially at a little age, right? And so she would always be like, well, what about this? And what about this? Did you know that alligators run between three feet and this feet, you know? And I always said, I was like, listen, when we find an alligator and we try to get as close as we should and really see it, here's what I need you to do. Just stay close to dad, okay? And, and she would do just that. Like, we'd walk up, and I'd go, look, there's an alligator. And we'd walk up, and, and she'd start with the facts, and I'm like, wait, shh, like, stay close to me. And she would nestle in. Holy cow, I'm gonna get emotional. <laughs> Shoot, didn't expect that. I, I did that first service, too. Like, she's so big now. She drove herself here this morning, you know? <laughs> But she would nestle herself in right there by my leg, and I could feel her, and she would even grab a hold of my shorts. And it was like this, just this sweet moment that we got to share of like, listen, you're going to see something wonderful. You're going to see something really, really, really amazing here. Here's what you need to do, though, in this moment. Stay close to Dad. Okay, that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples here. He's like, I know you're scared. I know you're uncertain. I know you, you have no idea what's next. I know I'm telling you that I'm gonna do all of these things in you and through you for my glory. And I know you don't know what all of that looks like. Here's what you need to know. Stay close to me. And he's going to explain this here. He's going to explain this through a metaphor, a metaphor of a vine and branches. And I like to think that possibly he was even sharing this metaphor to them while they're actually walking through a vineyard that was along the way to the garden. Let's read these verses. Chapter 15, we're going to look today at verses 1 through 17. Starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified so that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just sit in that for a moment. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, why? So that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All right, all right. Go back to the first three verses of this chapter here. Verses one through three, it jumps right in, right to this vine vineyard language. In the Old Testament, this vine language typically was used to refer to Israel, okay? But, but Israel had failed to be faithful to the Lord and to produce fruit. And so now Jesus is saying, I am the true Vine, I'm what all of that was pointing to, and I will produce good fruit. And, and it's not by being part of Israel that we are God's people, but it's through Jesus Christ. Right? And he's saying, we, we now have life through him and him alone. And when we place our trust in him and we're believers, he says we are branches, right? We're branches that are connected to him. The, the giver of life, and, and he, he's, not, he's not merely the source of life for us in, the, in respect to like the forever, future, eternal life with him. He is our source of life now. And then what's he do after he says that he's the true vine there in verses one and two? He points to the father's work as the vine dresser. And it says that the father takes away, the Father removes those branches that do not have the life of the vine in them and are not producing fruit. And then what's he do? It says he prunes. He prunes all of those branches that do have the life of the vine in them and are bearing fruit. This is talking about this pruning as the loving discipline and shaping by the Father. As he, as he molds us as Christians and grows us and causes us to bear spiritual fruit. Now at this point, I realized this week as I talked to some different people that John 15 can confuse some of us and even scare some of us in these first couple verses. But know this, Jesus was not sharing this with his disciples for that reason. This is meant to be hopeful and encouraging to the disciples and to us in preparation for what they and what we will encounter ahead of us. Okay, so let's, let's think about it this way. Uh, when you meet Jesus, when he reaches down and opens your blind eyes and softens your hard heart and you place your trust in him, he changes you in a moment you become a child of God. You are born again. You're a new creation. And he connects you 
to himself the true vine. All right, think of it this way. Uh, the Super Bowl is coming up. If you don't know what that is, it's the event that Taylor Swift will be attending. <laughs> just, so, just, so you're, just so we're all clear on that. She'll be there. Hey, the Super Bowl. I can imagine, I can imagine that if you're an NFL player uh, and you have an opportunity to play in or even to win the Super Bowl, it's a life-changing event, right? As a player, there was pre-Super Bowl NFL player me and now post-Super Bowl NFL player because your life completely changes, right? The way you're seen in, in the media, the way you interact with the team, the way you are as a player even morphs like it affects both your life and your life as a player. It's life-changing, Right? The Super Bowl happened, and then look where we went from there. Right? I was sitting around um, this week with my family, and I was just talking about this illustration, and I actually asked them, I'm like, hey, guys, uh, a life-changing thing for you, like something where you look at it and go, wow, before this, I was this, after this, whoa. And, and I, expected, I expected to hear things you know, related to the, their salvation, you know, I expected for my kids to hear things related to how amazing of a parent they've had. And, you know, this was their life. You know, now this is their life. Thank goodness our parents have been so faithful to teach me how to drive to church on a Sunday morning, you know, kind of thing. No, no, that's not what they shared. In fact, Kenzie, my middle, again, I have permission. She said, Dad, you know what's been the biggest life-changing moment for me? Coffee. coffee. She's like, you know, before I tasted coffee, my life was one way. Now after, oh, it's so much better, you know, and I'll actually affirm that there is a pre-coffee Kenzie and an after coffee Kenzie. So not quite what I was looking for, but you're getting the idea, right? You meet Jesus, he changes you, right? Scripture talks about it this way. You have been united with Christ Jesus, like he has laid hold of you. He has connected you to the vine, to the life of the vine. And here's the reality. If you are connected to the vine and the life of the vine is flowing in you, you will bear fruit, All right? And then out of that, out of that, I had two questions. My first question was, what is fruit? <laughs> and my next question was then, how do we bear it? I know you say we will, but what does that look like? Okay, so let's start with the first. What is fruit? A couple definitions that we're gonna work with this morning. First one is this. It's up on the screen. Fruit is godliness and good deeds seen in and through the believer's life because of our connection to Jesus Christ. Fruit is godliness or Christ-likeness and good deeds that are seen both, both in and through a believer's life because of our connection to Jesus Christ. So here, here and across the New Testament, we see that spiritual fruit relates both to who we are, our character, and what we do as an overflow of that character. How do we now live in light of that. In the last couple chapters, we've seen a spiritual fruit of love for God and love for others. We talked about Galatians chapter five last week that talks about the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, fruit of the Spirit in us, okay? But also, in this passage, fruit is people. Look down at verse 16. Verse 16 here says this. For you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you, for what reason? That you should go. Great commission language there. That you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Our lives should reproduce. They should multiply followers of Jesus, right? People who are abiding as a result of our abiding, okay? So, so we, as believers, as the church, are intended to bear fruit as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's our purpose, Why? Look down at verse eight. Verse eight tells us why. Because spiritual fruit glorifies God. It makes much of him. It points to his beauty and proves. It demonstrates, it shows to a watching world that we are disciples of Jesus. So you see, you're either connected to Jesus, to the vine, evidenced by fruitful living, or you aren't, and there is no fruit of eternal value for God's glory in your life. What these verses are telling us is that some profess Christ merely outwardly, but are not truly born again. And it says that the Father takes those away. He removes them. Down in verse six, it says this hard Phrase, he gathers them and throws them into the fire and they are burned. That's eternal judgment language. We've seen this before too. Uh, Back in chapter six, remember it said, after this, many of his disciples, so-called disciples, turned back and no longer walked with him. Evidence that they weren't ultimately connected to the eternal life of of the vine. Right? We, we are gonna see that here in a second. Jesus has already been talking with his disciples about it, but they're not quite getting it. And they're gonna get it in a second because they're gonna see this lived out in the life of Judas. Remember in chapter 13, Jesus is washing uh, Peter's feet and the disciples' feet. And, and Peter's like, wash my whole body. He's like, Peter, you're clean. He's like, but one of you is not. And that's Judas. Notice, notice here in verses one through three, It's the father's job to remove branches and prune branches. He sees the heart. He knows and he acts according to his good mercy and justice. I think often often we look at these verses and right out of this, immediately we can start going, oh no, oh no, oh no. And we start inspecting fruit in our lives. And we're like, oh, wait, is that enough fruit? Is that fruit big enough? Is that large enough? Is that, does that mean I'm in Christ or, or is that not enough fruit? And I need to worry that I'm gonna be removed and cut off. What do, what do, I, what do I do? And I can imagine even the disciples here thinking this. And look what he says in verse three. He says, already you're clean. 
That word is related to the word pruned. So it, it literally could say, already you are pruned. Why? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. You should remember back to chapter 13. Again, remember when he comes and washes Peter's feet. He's like, Lord, you won't wash my feet. I don't wash you. You have no part in me. He's washed my whole body. He's like, Peter, you're clean. I just need to wash your feet. He's saying the same thing again to them here. He's like, you're already clean. You're already pruned. Why? Because you've believed the words that I've told you. That's why. Particularly, you've believed that I am the son of God. I'm the savior of the world. That I am the one that will reconcile you to God, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You're clean. You're pruned. Okay? Then now what? Then now, how do I bear fruit? Look at verse four. He says, bear fruit this way. Abide in me. Notice, notice he doesn't say, make fruit. <laughs> That's not the command. His command is, abide. Your, your translation of scripture may say, remain in me or dwell in me. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? From the last chapter, the Holy Spirit is sent to, to dwell in us. So he's saying, dwell in me as I dwell in you. True followers of Jesus are connected to the vine. He's saying, now stay connected. Stay connected. Not, not in the sense of, oh, and you'll lose your salvation if you, if you don't. Nope, nope. He's saying, lean into what is already true about you. Lean in. I'm abiding in you. Abide in me. You have been changed. Now keep going. Because I, I don't know about you, but I've noticed the Lord doesn't change us all at once, does he? He changes us little by little progressively, gradually, more and more over, over time. Think about this this way. If you were one of the, like, third of the United States that signed up for a gym membership at the beginning of the year, and you're like, I'm gonna get fit, I'm gonna get in shape again, this is gonna happen one more time, and you go to the gym, all right? Change begins immediately. How do you know that? Because after a 45-minute workout, you feel it. You're like, I can't, I don't know if I'm actually gonna be able to walk out of the gym. Like, this is bad, right? What needs to happen? It's not just done. Change has begun in you, but you have to continue expending effort, not earning effort in order to yield the fruit from that. So what do you have to do? You have to come back tomorrow and you got to abide in that gym. That's why most of us don't do it. Right, you gotta come back the next day. You've gotta do the exercises, put in the work, all right? Jesus is like, listen, there is effort that you need to expend in this relationship, all right? So here's our next definition. Um, we're gonna put it up here. What is, what's abiding? What's abiding in Christ? Here's what it is, abiding in Christ. It's to remain joyfully connected to a relationship with Christ through dependence and obedience, that's what it is. It's remaining joyfully connected to relationship with Christ through dependence and obedience, resulting in spiritual fruit. All right, let's unpack this first. We abide through dependence. We abide through dependence on Jesus. Look down at verse 
4 and 5 there. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Remaining connected to him, close to him, it's the only way to bear fruit. Have you ever seen a branch growing fruit having been totally severed from the vine or the tree or the source? It doesn't happen. It's dependent on the plant for everything. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. You need me to grow. And we've seen, he gives us his spirit and we need his spirit to to work in us and sustain us and fuel us and empower us to look like him and to live our lives for him. Look Look at verse five there. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, nothing. We only bear spiritual fruit with any eternal value by his power and his grace. We can't do it on our own, ourselves. It overflows from his connection to us. Uh, But here's what's cool. In this passage, he graciously gives us really two very tangible expressions or practices of dependence that we do in our lives. Look down at verse seven. The first one is this. The first one is God's word. God's word. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. God's word is essential to our growth in Christ and for our remaining dependent upon him. Here's what's not gonna happen in the next couple minutes. I am not going to guilt you into studying your Bible more. Not gonna happen. This is not gonna be a, oh, you spend seven minutes reading your Bible every day? You should spend 15 if you're gonna be a good Christian. That's not, that's not it. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna hold out God's word to you as worthy of your time and your energy and your effort and your life. Like, we stay connected to him in a joyful, dependent, growing relationship through his word. He's given us his very words so that we might be able to stay connected to him. And notice what verse seven says. This isn't just about reading your Bible. He goes, my words do what? Abide in you, remain in you, dwell in you. It's through God's word that we know him more. We know his ways, we know his character, we know his person, we know his promises that we can cling to. We know his commands and what he requires of us. And through his word, we, we hear from him, our savior. And here's what's really cool. As we regularly are in God's amazing word, eventually is what happens is as we lay hold of his word regularly and daily and even hold on to it moment by moment is what his word does is it lays hold of us. 
You see, it's not. We don't study the Bible, read the Bible, or in the Bible, not just to get more knowledge about Jesus. That is one thing that we do. Ultimately, what we want to do is know our Savior and be transformed by him. And that's what happens as we are regularly in his word. His word takes hold of us by the power of his spirit and he begins to change us through it. And so I wanna hold out his word to you this morning and say, you wanna know your savior? You wanna abide in him? Abide in his word. Read it. Love it. Study it individually and in community. Memorize it. Meditate on it. Remember it daily. Cling to his promises in it so that you might draw near to your Savior. Tangible expression, God's word. Second tangible expression of our dependence upon God is prayer there in verse seven. Look at it. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, do this. Ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Oh, ask whatever you wish and it will be done to you. You see, through, through God's word, he reveals himself to us. He reveals who he is. He reveals his will for our lives and his ultimate will. And as we're learning of him and walking with him in his word, we converse with him and commune with him in prayer. I've, I've over the years loved using this definition of prayer. Prayer is dependence on God expressed in communion with God. It's dependence on him. Like when we pray, we're depending on him for everything and we, and we do that in relationship, communing with him. And you see what's amazing about how this works is as God's word abides in us, you know what it does? It conforms our thinking and our desires to his will. And more and more and more and more over time, the things that we begin praying are not merely our things, but they're his desires also. And in this, in this passage, his desire, the prayers that we should see coming out of this passage is, Lord Jesus, please bear fruit in me. Please make me more like yourself. Please allow me, my abiding in you to be infectious in the way that it, it points others to you and then allows them to abide in you also. Lord, bear fruit in me and through me for your glory. We abide through dependence, tangible expressions of dependence, God's word and prayer, which by the way, the equipped to shine event that we're doing, we're gonna dig down into some specifics around God's word and how to study God's word. I know, Pastor Chris's session, go to that. And prayer, I'm doing prayer session with Hans, Hans Stonehouse, so we're doing prayer. All right, last thing, last thing. We abide not only through dependence on Jesus, we abide through obedience to Jesus. Obedience to Jesus. We depend on him for everything, okay? But we, we have responsibility in this relationship. And our responsibility is to obey. Think back to that gym membership, right? My responsibility is to get up and go back to that gym where I know change happens. And I'm gonna go again and I'm gonna expend effort not to earn anything but to grow, right? Look down at verses uh, nine through 12 here. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. How do I, how do, I do that, Lord? If you keep my commandments, 
You'll abide in my love. Oh. Like, how simple and clear. Right? For all the difficult things to understand in scripture, and there are, like, there's some hard stuff. Like, the Lord's here, like, hey, how do I abide in your love, Lord? Keep my commandments. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's hard to do, but it's clear what the step is, right? And I love to look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, particularly the things he's just said, obey me. Why? That my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. That's why. His commands are not burdensome. They're supposed to be life-giving and joy-giving in our lives. How? How? Because listen, he knows better than you do what's best for your life. He knows what you need he knows how you need to grow. He knows how you need to be used for his glory in this world. And the way, the way that he keeps us on that path is how, through his commands that we walk in obedience to. And so as we do that, he says, you will abide in me. But look real quick, look at verse 12. I love it. He, he starts big. He says, obey my commands, like all of my word. But then he boils down, he reduces down all of his commands right here in this moment to a single command. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. We've seen this over and over again. He's like, my followers, those that remain connected to me will be marked by the fruit of love in obedience to me. And not only that, they will love as I loved. How did Jesus love? Humbly, sacrificially, selflessly, faithfully, and patiently. That's a key command. Walk in obedience to that. All right, all right. Let's close out this way. We bear fruit, fruit that glorifies God and demonstrates that we are his followers to a watching world by abiding in Christ. Jesus says, I'm leaving but I wanna continue my gospel work through you disciples and then down through the disciples to us, the church. And then the end, the, the end half of this chapter that we're not even getting to, the big thing that he tells them is, is the world is gonna hate you. It hated me first, but it's gonna hate you as my followers. And it's not gonna be easy and you've got a lot of questions. And, and you know too, so often in the midst of, of hardship and suffering and opposition and questioning in our lives, I think we either typically, we want all of the answers to all of the questions right now, or we just want that specific thing in our lives fixed or removed. But here, Jesus says, here's what you actually need. You need me. Stay close to me. In John chapter 20, if you remember, John chapter 20, verse 31, it's the whole purpose and theme of this gospel. I remember it says this, it says, these things are written so that you may believe, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And we said, Gospel John has two purposes. One, there's an evangelistic purpose to the Gospel of John. People were meant to read this gospel in scripture, and if they don't yet believe in Jesus, they are given what they need to see that he is the Christ, the son of God, and they can believe. But predominantly, this was written to the church. And so there's another aspect of this that is keep 
believing, Christian. You have believed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, keep believing, right? And I think John 15 is the keep believing passage of this gospel. And Jesus' way of saying, continue to believe is this, abide in me. So question to close us. What are you abiding in? I'm convinced we all abide in something. We're all dwelling in and connected to all kinds of things in our lives. What are you predominantly seeing yourself remaining in, in your life? Often these are the things that end up actually forming us and shaping us into who we are. And I found too that often when things get difficult and hard in life, we tend to run first to the things that we are mostly abiding in. And often these are the things that show up on our home screen our bumper stickers, and our search history. What are you abiding in? Are you abiding in your work? Sports? Netflix? Pornography? Alcohol? Social media? Food? Listen, listen. Jesus is better. Jesus is the only place where you're gonna find that true meaning and joy and mercy and healing and hope and grace and purpose that you ultimately need. It's it's in him. And in this passage, he's saying, what you need most, believer, is Jesus. Abide in him. He has laid hold of you in your salvation. Now cling to him. He says, I will change you. I will use you. Here's what you need to do every day, daily and joyfully and faithfully as much as you possibly can. Lay hold of me. Independence and in obedience and I will bear the fruit in you as you do that. Abide in me, Father. Thank you for our salvation. Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you as Savior, Lord, who has not yet been connected to you, the, the true vine, and has the life of the vine flowing through them, Lord, eternal life, would today be the day that they see their need for a savior. They see the gravity of their sin in light of a holy God and their need to be reconciled to you, Lord. And would they, by faith, place their trust in you and believe that Jesus is the son of God, the savior of the world. Lord, thank you for opening our blind eyes, softening our hard hearts, pursuing us when we weren't pursuing you and causing us by faith to place our trust in you and be saved. Thank you for new life. Thank you that we are your children. Lord, would you now, would you now, by the power of your Holy Spirit in us, help us. 
Help us increasingly to desire to abide in you. Help us to increasingly run to you for our help and our hope and our needs. Lord, help us to increasingly be dependent on you for everything and to walk faithfully, although imperfectly, but faithfully in obedience to your commands, Lord. And bear fruit in our lives, please, individually and as a local church. Make us into your image day by day, Lord. And use us, use us to spread the good news about you so that others might have the joy of walking in obedience to you, in friendship with you, in relationship alongside of you. And would you be glorified by all of it? And would a watching world look on and would they see that indeed we are your followers? in your precious name.